Well, it's good to have Dalton back up here this week. Uh, Carter's out of town for the thing. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Um, he's out of town for the Thanksgiving holiday and also um, Dalton came up. Appreciate that. It's always good to be able to have him up in a band, of course, coming up from Fremont. It's always good to be able to do that. It's kind of neat to see how, as we've been uh, transitioning, we're a campus church of Grace Community Church in Fremont, and uh, but one of the the desires is, is as we grow as a campus church that we then fill the spots that need to be filled. And so we've got Greg's on the keys and Kathy Alter's on the keys, uh, people from our church, and then the rest are filled in with people from, um, from the main campus. And everything else is pretty much covered by us, and it's kind of a neat thing to see. So I appreciate all those that are serving and getting involved. As you see, we're going to have uh, communion this morning, the bread and the cup. And um, I thought maybe what would be... Um, interesting is to take a hard saying, since we're finishing up our series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, uh, that kind of relates to communion. And so uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 6. If you want to turn there, uh, I would encourage you to do that. And I would encourage you today especially, I'll have some verses up on the screen, but the vast majority of verses that we're going to look at are, I want your nose in the Bible, okay? Um, One of my prayers is always that I would never be a distraction to what God wants to teach us. Jesus is teaching us this morning uh, in John chapter 6, and I want us to see that Jesus is the one teaching this. This is not coming from me. It's not coming from Grace Community Church, Grace Point Church, um, simply because we have a theological position about communion, but as something that Jesus himself is teaching. And it's a crucial point that we need to understand as it pertains to communion, there are some who would teach that by uh, taking communion, by taking the bread and placing it in our mouth, taking what we use as grape juice, taking that into our mouths, that that somehow earns us salvation, eternal life, being right with God, or somehow ensures that. And, and it's not, and it's dangerous for us when we start adding to what Jesus Christ has done for our salvation, that we are moving away from what salvation truly is. We're putting our trust and our faith in things other than Jesus Christ himself and what he did on the cross, and so it becomes very dangerous. And so I want to talk about that this morning uh, in a passage that people use, um, and in first reading could potentially uh, be used to teach something other than what salvation really is, and that's in faith in Christ and Christ alone. And that's the point this morning. That's what I want us to understand as we go through this. The point is that salvation, eternal life, forgiveness from our sins, being made right with God, all referring to the same thing, is something that comes through Christ and Christ alone, his sacrifice. So what about this passage that we're going to look at? Um, How is it that communion doesn't um, help us have salvation or ensure our salvation? It's found throughout the chapter, some very specific words in the verses that we're going to be looking at right off the bat here. So let me uh, read. We're going to start in verse uh, 53, and then we're going to go back. So 53 through 58, or 52 through 58, are up on the screen, but the rest is going to be us with our noses in God's Word. Jesus is talking here in verse uh, 53. says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. Now, when Jesus says truly, truly, or verily, verily, or whatever the different translations might use, he's basically saying this. Look at me. Look at my eyes. Hear what I'm saying. 
you know, get your attention towards me. I want to give you something that's powerful, it's important stuff. Get this. Which is a little different than what we, you know, he says, truly, truly, I say, look at my eyes, you know, type of thing. So, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, which is a key phrase here as Jesus is talking through John 6. Not as the, fa- uh, not as the fathers or the, those in uh, Israel's past in the wilderness back in the Old Testament ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So what's he saying here? Why doesn't this mean that when we take communion that we're not taking also in salvation or ensuring our salvation? We really need to go back to the beginning of John. This is why I kind of want us to be in the passage and get the context of what he's talking about here. The context is that he had just got done feeding the 5,000 or 10 to 12,000. 5,000 men, they figure it may have been 10 to 12,000 different people, you know, men, women, children type of thing. And he's, he's fed them with five barley loaves, I think it is, and two fish. So after he does that, if, and again, you can read this uh, for yourselves, but after he does that, the people receive this bread, and it triggers in their mind something that they heard in synagogue school, okay, on that Saturday night or Friday night. You know, when they have synagogue, you know, we have Sunday school. They have... Anyways, so when they have this little class, as they're growing up, they heard a story about Moses and Moses leading Israel out of Egypt and providing for them this manna that was from heaven and they ate it and that's what sustained them in the in the wilderness as they traveled through the wilderness so it triggers that thought in their mind and they're like Moses also talked about you can just kind of hear them all talking right Moses also talked about if I remember right in Deuteronomy that God was going to send a prophet like Moses I think this is the prophet that they're talking about in the Old Testament. I think Jesus is the prophet who's going to restore Israel and provide for all of our needs. He's going to take care of us. We're not going to have to go out looking for food and taking. It's just going to come from heaven. It's just going to dump on us, and we're going to have all of our needs met. Our, we're going to have all the bread we need and all the drink we need and all that. Well, Jesus gets this, right? So he takes off to the, to the mountain to go and pray and to kind of get away from them. He doesn't want them. It says he didn't want them to take him by force and make him their king. So he goes away. The disciples go with him. It's nighttime. In the, in the dark of night, Jesus tells the disciples, get in a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they jump in a boat. He stays back on the other side. And it's interesting because the other Gospels talk about this walking on the water experience that Jesus did with a lot of detail. John, he's just using it to let us know how the disciples went from one side of the sea to the other side of the sea, and how Jesus went from one side of the sea. He did it a little differently. He decided to walk um, on the water rather than take a boat. But that's how he, John just uses it to transition us from one side to the other side. Then it talks about the 
the people wake up the next morning and they're like, where's Jesus? Where are the disciples at? Where, where do they go? They find some boats, they jump in the boat, and they go across the sea. And when they see Jesus, they're like, well, how did you get here? In other words, what happened? You guys took off in the middle of the night and just left us. Again, they're thinking, I thought you were the prophet who was supposed to give us, restore Israel and give us all the food that we want. Jesus, in verse 26, that's where we want to pick this up. He doesn't even address that issue. He goes to the heart of the issue. He goes to the heart of what their motivation is behind following him, looking for him, doing whatever they needed to do, including crossing over the Sea of Galilee to find him. And he says, truly, truly, there it is again. And he says it several times in this passage. Listen up. Get this. I'm trying to make a point, and you guys need to get this point. I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's saying, you didn't, you're not following me because you see all the cool stuff that I'm doing, showing that I'm God, by the way, healing people, bringing, you know, people who are blind are seeing, people who are dead being raised to life. You're following me because you think there's something in this, me providing this bread for you. You want your physical needs met. Do not, so then he says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So he says, listen, you guys need to stop focusing on your earthly needs and on this earth and what I can provide for you here. You need to get the bigger picture in mind. You need to see what I can provide for you when it pertains to eternal life, to life in heaven, a relationship with God. You need to get this. I'm the approved one. God has set his seal on me. I mean, he's the approved way. He is the approved one for salvation for mankind. Another way of putting it is if something else could gain us you know, spiritual life, eternal life in heaven, Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die. So he's saying, I'm the one who's been approved for this. I'm the, one who, I'm the only one who can do it because I'm God. I'm the only one who can die in eternal death. So in verse 28, they say, what, what should we do? So we may work the works of God. Because you know, Jesus is saying, you need to work for this. You need to understand what I'm trying to tell you here. Say, well, what are the works that we need to do? Because they're constantly thinking about this earth and what they need to do. Jesus says it's not about works, it's about a work. In verse 29, this is the work of God. If you want to call it work, it's simply this. The requirement for salvation is belief. You need to believe. That word believe is, uh, means to have faith in something. It means to entrust yourself to something or someone. So when it comes to salvation, we're entrusting ourselves to Christ and his work and what he's done. Then they question him and say, well, what, what's your sign? You know, not like a CB radio sign, but what, what's the sign? How do, we, how do we know you came from God? How do we know you're the approved one? Because after all, Moses, he gave us food from heaven. You just took some kids' barley loaves and some fish, and you fed us until we were busting at the tunic. You know, they... Moses gave us, you got that too, and they didn't have like, you know, Thanksgiving, we like, oh, you know, anyways. Moses gave us bread out of heaven. 
Jesus quick says, <laughs> God gave you that. And not only that, but God gives you this true bread out of heaven. So now their, their interest is piqued. Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, listen up, catch this, hello. All right? It's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God, this is a key verse here. This is so cool when I was studying this out. For the, so just kind of listen to this. For the bread of God, the bread of God, is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. What, what he's saying here is where God gave bread, he's saying this bread itself, the bread itself is coming down out of heaven. The bread itself is making the choice to come down out of heaven. What, what Jesus is saying is, this bread that I'm talking about is not some physical bread. This bread is living, and it's able to give life. It's not giving physical life, it's giving spiritual life. Why? He's talking about himself. But what do they say? Wow, if you can give us some bread that's going to give us life, that's the kind of bread we always want. Bring that. Forget the barley loaves. Give us that bread. If it's different than what Moses gave us, that's fine. Just give us that bread that's going to give us life all the time. What does Jesus say in verse 35? And, and I don't know if Jesus is, you know, having some righteous indignation here, a little frustration on his, his part. But he says, I am the bread of life. I'm not talking about some bread. I'm not talking about something coming down that Moses gave. I'm talking about myself. This is the first of seven I am statements. You remember the big point back in Moses when we looked in Exodus? God said, I am. Well, Jesus is saying this seven different ways that I am. I am God. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I'm the one who is bringing life. I am the bread of life. I am the one who has come down out of heaven. I've made a choice to come down out of heaven to give spiritual life, not just to Israel, but to the world. I'm not going to go through each of these verses. I'm just going to kind of highlight some things this bread is given to him by God. God is the one who says that all that the Father gives me will come to me. So God is giving people to Christ. And all those who God is giving him, he will receive. And he will raise them up one day. So obviously he's talking about something that's not really physical, right? I mean, the sense of he's talking about something deeper than just the physical. He's talking about spiritual things. He's talking about raising people from the dead. This is like a lot more than just some bread, then he says in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing. And so God has a will for Jesus, and Jesus is supposed to go and secure all those that God has given to him. And then here's the will for us, verse 40, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself, here again, promise, and will raise him up on the last day. Behold the Son, believe in him. These are Two really cool phrases. Behold, it's kind of like um, when John, uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus, behold the Son of God. 
who comes to take away the sins of the world. Okay? It's behold, look at him. Look at what he's doing. Look at what he's teaching. See that he is God, that he is showing and demonstrating that he is God through his acts and, and through his speak. Behold him. See him for who he is and what he does. And then believe in him. Put your full weight of trust in him. Not in him plus something. In him, what he's saying, what he's going to do one day, a future for them, past for us. Believe in that. Entrust your spiritual life into the hands of Jesus Christ. That's how a person receives this eternal life that God is promising them. That's, that's how a person is raised up one day from this physical death to spiritual life in heaven one day. It's in him and him alone. Well, let me, verse 41, there's some, the Jews. Okay, so therefore the Jews were grumbling about him. They're arguing, they're fighting. They've got people going back and forth, some believing some Jesus, some not believing Jesus. You also have to understand, we're moving from the, the beginning of John 6. We're at the sea, okay, the seashore. At the end of chapter 6, we're in Capernaum in a synagogue. So this must be happening as they're walking along. Okay, you kind of see a crowd. Jesus is talking. People are catching what Jesus is saying. Then there's these Jews, probably not people from Jerusalem as much as people who are um, really devout followers of Judaism. Okay? Really devout followers of this religion that says you need to follow the Mosaic law, do everything that needs to be done that way to receive salvation, which, of course, we know from Scripture is not how you find salvation. They misunderstood what the law was for. But they're confused because they're saying, how does he say that he came down from heaven? So now they're questioning his deity. They're, they're saying, we know his parents. Now, the Sea of Galilee is up north of Jerusalem. Capernaum is just right on the shore. Nazareth is right down here. Easy shot to Capernaum. They kind of knew about this Jesus guy up there. They knew about his seedy past. He was the one who's his parents were divorced. I mean, I'm sorry, engaged. Pardon me. His parents were engaged. They weren't even married yet. And they had a baby. She says that the baby was given to her by God, that God gave her the baby through his Holy Spirit. I think she's not quite all there. But now what's sad is that this kid that she gave birth to, he thinks he's God. This is crazy talk happening here. This guy is out of his mind. This is not somebody we should be following. That was their whole basis. And it's interesting because Jesus' response, all he does is he goes back, basically repeats what he said before. He says this. Listen, the Old Testament said that God is going to be teaching you personally. God's going to make this make sense to you if you seek after God. If you really want to know what God says, then you'll consider what I'm teaching you, and God will bring you to me. God will give you understanding of who I am. He's not going to have a big debate with these people because they just need to seek after God. If they sought truly after God and not through the Mosaic Law, they would understand. And so he says again, I am the bread. But he says something different in verse 51. This kind of leads us into what we read earlier. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is what? Is my flesh. So now he's saying, listen, follow me here. Get what I'm saying. There is a bread that came down out of heaven by its own choice. It's a bread that can give out of itself eternal life. And that life is for the world. I am that bread. My flesh is that bread. That word flesh is a word he doesn't use anywhere else when he's talking about communion. When he's talking about communion, John 13, when Paul's talking about communion, 1 Corinthians 11, they use the word body. This is my body broken for you. Jesus is saying, he's, he's getting their attention that this is my flesh. I'm giving my physical body to you. I'm going to lay that bare one day. It's not bread from heaven that caused, that kept people alive for a time, but then they died. This is bread that will give them eternal life. Now let's get into the verses that we read. Here's some key points from this. Words in the Bible mean things. Grammar is important in the Bible. It's important for us when we read Scripture, to study Scripture, to really know what these words are saying and what Jesus means. So I just want to give you some points coming out of 52 to 58 that we talked about. The words in, in verse 53, the words eat and drink, eat the flesh, drink his blood. And if, if you don't, there's no life in yourself. There's no spiritual life in and of yourself. Those are what they call the aorist tense. The aorist tense means it's a one and done thing. It's a once for all. That if you make a conscious choice to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood. In other words, to put your faith, to behold who Jesus is, to put your faith in Christ. It's a one and done thing. It's not something that you do over and over and over and over again. So if there's a point in time in your past where you came to terms and you realized, man, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God and I believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sin and when he rose from the dead, he rose to give me spiritual life and that God forgave me and he put his Holy Spirit into me so I can have spiritual life, that's it. You're done. You're saved. You have spiritual life. It's not something that the next time you hear that, you've got to raise your hand again. Oh, Lord, I just need to... It's not something that goes away. It's a one and done thing. You make that choice, God makes that happen. It's a spiritual transaction that God does. If communion was something like that, or any other religious ritual that we could think of, baptism, church membership, going to church, whatever, you know, whatever, then Jesus would have told us that it was something that needed to go on and on and to do, be done over and over and over again. But it's not. It's a one-time deal. The relationship is established one time. Just like we can't be born physically again, right? Our poor mothers, if we tried... We can't do that spiritually. It's a spiritual act, spiritual decision. Another way you can put it this way. When you're hungry, you go to the refrigerator and you find food because your body is telling you, I have a desire for food. And hopefully you got to the point where your stomach's grumbling. You're not just like me who just goes because you're bored. Right? So you go, you grab food, you ingest it, you make a choice to pick that and ingest it and put it into your life, and your body has 
physical life. You know, you're sustaining yourself. But eventually that food stops. I mean, it stops helping. <laughs> you know, you could eat and you're still going to die. What Jesus is saying is we need to, in a spiritual sense, ingest Jesus. We need to realize I have a spiritual need, a spiritual hunger, and I need to ingest Jesus. I need, to, in a spiritual sense, I need to take Jesus into my life, into my heart, and he gives us spiritual life and eternal life, and he's giving, him, giving himself in order to do that. This word flesh, by the way, just shocked them. That was because to the, to the Jew, especially the person who was following the Mosaic law, they were not to drink animal blood, let alone human blood. You know, this was shocking their system to hear this. And so Jesus, again, uses the word flesh to describe what it was that he was giving for their salvation, giving for their eternal life. Here's something interesting to go along with that. This once for all thing stuck in my head, and so I was thinking, once for all? Well, Jesus died once for all. Five times in the New Testament, in three different books of the, of the New Testament, this phrase, Jesus died once for all, is used. I'm going to give you two passages. One is in Hebrews, and Hebrews is real big about taking the Old Testament and the Old Testament law and showing how Jesus fulfilled all of that. So we don't have to work, worry about a religious law anymore. We just need to spend time with Christ. Or I guess the cross is over there, so I need to do it that way. We don't rely on religious law. We rely on Christ. Okay, does that work better? So Hebrews 10, 8 through 10 says, After, after saying above, which is some earlier teaching, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them. It's talking about God is not, God's not impressed with our religious sacrifice. God's not really impressed when it comes to our salvation or relationship with him that we're sitting here taking a little bread and drinking a little cup. Okay, he's not impressed with that. We do it to show how grateful we are for Christ's sacrifice, but when it comes to salvation, it's not an impressive thing. Verse 9, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus saying, He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And this is it. By this, by this will, we have been sanctified, made right with God. Justified is being made right with God. Sanctified is being set aside for God's work. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all. First Peter, Peter writes, For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He was just, we are unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, Jesus being put in the flesh, being put to death in the flesh, but made it alive in the spirit. So Jesus gives us, by him being put to death in the flesh, we then join him in that when we put our faith in him. And as he re was restored to life, he gives us spiritual life. Jesus doesn't, didn't and doesn't die over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He died once for all. Then we ingest him, we take him in by faith one time. We are birthed into God's family, Scripture teaches. We become a child of God, Scripture teaches. It's not something that we do over and over and over again, whether it's through our own coming to him 
in praying a salvation prayer over and over and over again or using some sort of religious ritual. Salvation, eternal life comes through Jesus Christ and Him alone that He gave once for all. Well, finishing up here, and kind of as we do our little takeaway each week, what, how does this apply? The question is, which of the disciples are you? If, you? if you look at verses 60 through 69, we're not going to read it, but this caused a real issue. And in verse 60, it says that the disciples who were following Jesus struggled at these hard sayings. Now, when he's talking about disciples here, he's talking about a large group, a general speaking of people who were literally following Jesus. All right? So he's talking about these people who are following. Now, in that group is a, a group of uh, disciples that we call the 12 disciples who are truly following Christ. And that's the distinction he's making here. There are some in this passage who are saying, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but I can't get past the fact that I, I need to do something for my salvation. I can't get the pa- past it that you truly are God and you are the one who is supposed to do the work and I'm just supposed to trust you. I can't get past that. And if you read the scriptures, what it says is they, they turned and they no longer followed Jesus. With their life, they said, you know, great idea, but I'm not buying it. I'm not putting my faith in that. I'm not entrusting myself into your hands. I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to go my way. I don't know how many people that was. But Scripture makes it sound like the only ones left were the 12. So even if there was 50 people or 100 people, or if there was a mass of people that came over, I don't know, but a large number of people turned and no longer followed Jesus. They didn't lose their salvation because they never had it, just to make that clear, because they didn't believe in him. They didn't behold him. The only ones remaining were Jesus, or were Jesus' disciples, the twelve. And this is kind of neat. Verse 68, verse 67, Jesus says, you don't want to go away also, do you? You, you don't want to follow them? And Peter speaks for everybody. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you, we've beheld you. You are the Holy One from God. We believe in you. You have this, the words of life. So the question for us this morning is, which of those disciples are we? Are we looking at that saying, okay, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I've just seen what Jesus is teaching, but, you know, I, I just can't put, take that step of faith towards what Jesus is saying. I, I can't trust that he did all that needed to be done on the cross. I'm still going to continue to try to trust in some other things, too, to help me understand that, to help me get there. You do that, you're walking away from Christ. My challenge for you this morning, and Jesus' challenge more importantly is, that this morning, maybe for the first time in your life, maybe you've heard this day in and day out, but for the first time in your life, this morning you behold who Jesus is and you believe in what he's done. You behold that he is God, sent from God, that he gave his flesh, he died on a cross for a reason, for a purpose, And he did that because as God, he's the only one who is able to die an eternal death. Our sin against God is eternal. It's infinite. Only God can remove that. He's the only one who could do that. 
So we behold him, and then we believe in that. We entrust ourselves to that. And it's simply this, acknowledging that to him. Believing in our heart and just confessing that to him. I mean, that's what we do, right? When we believe something, we, we talk about it, we say it. And so it's just simply taking time and, and just having that conversation with God and letting him know you understand that you're separated from him, that sin has separated for you from him, and that Christ has done all that needs to be done, that you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. I'd just like to have us close our eyes and bow our heads. And um, I think it's extremely important that I give you that opportunity right here, right now, to make that aorist decision, right? The, the once for all, a conscious choice that you can look back on and say, that was the day that I made that choice to accept Christ. And then I'd like to help you. I'd just like to pray a prayer that you can pray your heart to God's heart. And just simply this, again, your heart to God's heart, just say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But this morning I'm beholding who Jesus is, that he is God. And I'm believing in him that what he did on the cross was all that needed to be done for my sins to be forgiven, to be made right with you, and to have spiritual life and eternity in heaven. Father, help me to truly understand. Confirm it with your Holy Spirit. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. But if you have prayed that prayer this morning, I would love it if you just raise your hand so that I know and, and I can pray for you. And I'd love to be able to just talk with you too about that. But if you just go ahead, just lift your hand up and let me know if you've prayed that prayer. Let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for Jesus Christ. What an incredible act of love that he demonstrated by going to the cross, dying an incredibly painful, agonizing death, and then taking our death and hell for an eternity's sake and the power that that showed rising from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. And I pray, Father, that as we're truly seeking you, that you would give us understanding that we would be drawn to Christ and that we'd find that eternal life in him. I praise things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And remember Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus told us that we should do this as a remembrance of him. So we're just taking an opportunity to remember who Christ is and what he's done for us and to thank him. I thought it was kind of a fitting being Thanksgiving week. So we're going to do that this morning. And remember that this morning as we take the bread and the cup. The only requirement is that you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you have not, we'd encourage you to not partake. But if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've beheld him and you believe in him, that this is an opportunity for you, whether you're a member of our church or not, uh, to take that because you're a member of God's family and that's what's important to us.
And here's how we're going to do it, a little different than we did last time. Uh, we have some freedom uh, with how we're set up. And, um, and so what I'm going to do is, uh, after a moment of quiet, we'll have some music playing, uh, some time for you to just kind of get your hearts and your minds focused in on, on Christ and what he's done for us. I'd like to have you come up and take uh, one of the little cups and a piece of the bread. Don't partake of it here, but go back to your seat, and we're going to do it together as a church family. Last time I know we kind of did it individually. This time we'll do it a little different, and uh, we'll partake together. So um, I'm just going to have Kevin start playing some music and just take a moment of quiet, then come up, and once I see everybody has been up and back to their seat, then I'll go ahead and lead us and take the bread and the cup together, okay?
writes in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. He finishes out and says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. So it's interesting. There's something that we need to do continuously. That is, remember him, but then also to do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have a responsibility to proclaim the Lord's death, both here as we worship together as a church family, but also as we go out from here and as we interact with those who need Christ. It's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing next week, starting our series in Jonah and looking at God's heart for the lost, and that's what we want to be able to do. Let's go ahead and stand. And we'll close the service in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to, to worship you, the opportunity to remember what you've done for us. And Lord, I uh, am so thankful for our church, our church family. I'm so thankful for um, what you're doing in our church, seeing people come to Christ and uh, seeing their lives transformed as they become more and more like Christ and as they understand more and more who you are and what you've done for them. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a part of that. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who you place in us to guarantee our place in your family and in heaven one day. Father, put people in our lives this week that need you. Help us to interact with them and to represent Christ as we proclaim his death and offer of salvation. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Have a great rest of the day and week, and we'll see you next Sunday.